listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, The Gospel of Luke, Jesus for All, we walk through Luke's account of the life and ministry of Christ. All right, good morning, everybody. Um, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke chapter 6. We are going to enter our way along a little bit further in, in, in the book of, of Luke. Uh, today, we'll just be looking at actually just... Uh, verses 43 through 45. So let me read those and pray and we'll kind of dive in where we are stepping right into the middle of Jesus sermon on the plane. And so I'll I'll do a little catch up for those that might have not been here last week and um, or might be visiting. I'll do a little catch up to where we're at with what Jesus has been telling us and then and then unpack what he has to say in these verses, verses 43 through 45. Jesus says this, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his, out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Pray with me, please. Father, again, we just take a moment to pause and acknowledge your presence with us, Lord. We thank you that you have given us your word. And Lord, I pray as Jesus is unpacking the characteristics of his disciples, as he has talked about the outward, now he's moving to the inward, to our hearts. Lord, I pray that the Spirit would help us to be open to examining our hearts. Lord, this is hard for us. This is hard for everybody. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to do so. Lord, this is key to seeing truly what hangs us up in our sin. Lord, and and I pray that you would just help us see that today. And be open to starting to look at our hearts. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, when we left Jesus' sermon last week, he was discussing the character of his disciples. He said up in in verses 37, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. So he's saying the character of someone, and and in context, he's talking about those that are around you and those that might even be sinning against you. And what he's saying is we are not to judge them, not to call them out on their sin, but we are not to judge them in such a way that we are holding them down as not to give them grace is not to offer them the same grace that God has given us. It's to to kind of condemn them, to say that you will be no more than what you are, or this sin defines you, or what you're doing will define you. And Jesus is saying, no, we, we can't judge like that. There is grace. He has given us grace, and we are to give others grace. And if we are holding people down like that, if we are judging them like that, then there is no room to forgive them. And then there's no room to give and serve them. He goes on to say, by the way, be watchful of who you follow. And as others follow you, make sure you are seeing correctly. So, so he say, he's given us these characteristics of his disciple. And he's saying, now, now be careful of who you follow. And by the way, there should be, if you're a disciple of Jesus, someone following you. You should be pursuing somebody and pouring your life into somebody else as a, as a disciple of Christ. And, and by the way, make sure that you are seeing correctly. Not only do you make sure that the person that you are following 
is seeing correctly, but make sure that, that you are seeing correctly in case there's someone following you so that you both, as Jesus says here, don't end up in the pit together as blind guys. We don't want to do that. So towards the end of our time together, Jesus started to turn his sermon to help us remove obstacles that would prevent us from treating others as he is calling us to do. And it's a, it's a pretty famous parable, and, and, uh, and, and just let me read what he says. Um, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out of the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you see clearly to take out the speck that is in, in your brother's eye. Now, this is, he uses the startling word, right? The word hypocrite. Nobody, none of us likes that word hypocrite if you're inside the church or outside the church. We don't like that word hypocrite, but I think he's using it to get your attention, to get our attention. And, and what we said last week was the word hypocrite means actor. It's someone who is acting. Specifically in line with the theme of judgmental attitude. This is illustrated for us by the parable of the, of, of the Pharisee and the tax collector. We know this parable. It's used quite often. I know I say it quite often because it is just such a good indication of, of how what Jesus is talking about, how we look around and we judge others, right, in order to make ourselves feel good. And it's just, just kind of our way of climbing the ladder to get to heaven in some ways. But Jesus is like, no, no, I've taken care of all that. You don't have to do that. First, you need to look in and remove the beam. And, and the idea of this beam that, that Jesus is talking about is like that support beam that goes all the way across, across the top of our building. It's that beam that's in our eyes. We, we need to remove that. We need to, to look in and remove that first. So we're not like that Pharisee who stood and pounded his chest and said, said what? I am so glad I'm not like that tax collector. And then he lists all the things that he does. And we, we are just like bent to do that, are we not? We, we love to hide. And then we love to look around and make ourselves think that we're okay because we are a little bit better than that person or we're a little bit better than that person. But Jesus really calls us to look only one place, and that is to look at him for perfection. That is the standard. He is our standard. And you say, Joe, Joe, but I, when I look at that standard, when I look at his standard written to us in the, in the word, I fail awful lot. Yes, you're absolutely right. We all do. But the good news of the gospel is, see, Jesus has done it all for us. And his righteousness has been given to us. So therefore, we can come out of hiding. We can stop covering our sin because we are in Christ and his righteousness have been given to us. So we see Christ for all that he has done and we can come out of hiding. We don't have to look to the right or to the left to, to decide or determine if we're okay. We can pause. We can rest in who we are in Christ and who he says we are. And then we can honestly take a look inside of our own hearts and maybe look at the beams that are jetting out from our eyes as Jesus' parable is, is describing here. That we can actually look inside of our hearts and see the things that trip us up, the things that are hanging us up, things that are causing different behaviors and actions from within us to come out. This is what he's saying when he calls us Calls, when he uses the word hypocrite, that, that we're acting in that way, that we're looking from the left to the right. We must see our own beam. And once we see our own beam, we must repent 
And repentance is not a bad thing, and it's not something that you only do once. Way back here when Jesus saved me. Repentance is all of the Christian life, and it's a good thing. Because what you're really doing is you're not turning to here or there or to this thing or to that person. You are turning back to God. And you're saying, Lord, I I fall short, but I know you love me. I know you saved me. I know that Christ's righteousness is, is all over me. And it's a good thing to turn and to repent. We go to God with it. It means that we're in relationship with him. That we actually talk with him and spend time with him. That we're in enough of a relationship that we can go to him and say, look, man, I keep stumbling. Can you help me see what's going on in my heart? Can you help me see what's going on in my heart? And what we do is we apply the gospel. We allow the gospel to remove those beams, remove those things from our lives. And what Jesus is trying to do, he's trying to turn his sermon into our hearts. So that we look inside. What does he go next? He, he says this. Let me tell you about a tree. <laughs> let me tell you about a tree. Where, where he goes next is to, let me tell you about the relationship between what goes on in your heart and the relationships to your actions. How does what happens in your heart relate to the way you act, to the way people see you, and, and the way you treat others? How do those two things connect each other? In verse 43 and 45, he says this, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For fig leaves are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked from a bramble bush. So the principle that Jesus teaches governs much of our philosophy in discipleship here at Mountain City Church. Is we, we want to be able to be in enough of a relationship with one another, and that's why we have discipleship groups. That's why even in our serving teams, like on June 10th, we're all going to gather and hopefully work and get some things done around um, here at the church. And then that evening, Charity is, is the head of our hospitality team or our guest care team, and she is inviting everybody over to Ron and Jeannie's house just to be in a group together as they serve together. And then they invite the rest of the church to go with them. And this is just a time to get to know each other better. So as we get to know each other better, we feel more comfortable in actually sharing our lives with each other. In other words, we come out of hiding. We come out of covering the things that we're covering. That we actually spend time with one another and get to know one another and love one another and serve one another and then speak the truth to one another and then pour out the gospel to one another. So it very much is the philosophy of, of how we think, dis, how we disciple one another here at the church. Is we, we just don't want to look at, at your sin and then tell you, okay, here's three things you need to do to stop this sin. We don't want to do that. We want to stop and pause, and then we want to ask questions, and we want to get to the, to the root, because that's where change actually happens, is at the root level. What Jesus is saying here is people are like trees. At the root of our behavior is our hearts. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So in other words, nothing comes out of your mouth or you don't behave in any way that isn't inside of you. It's inside of you, right? I've used this illustration before. No matter what I do to this bottle... Whether I slam it on the ground, if I jump up and down on it, if I throw it at Eric, the only thing that comes out of this bottle is what? Water. Because that's all that's in it. And this is the point that Jesus is trying to show us. That what comes out of you is in you. 
And although we like to blame our surroundings and we like to blame other people, you caused me to do this or you made me do this. No, it's inside of you. And that's what Jesus is pointing us to, is that people are just like trees, right? People are just like trees. What you see out here is because the roots are the same, and that's what the roots produce. And at the root of our behavior is our hearts. Again, for out of the abundance of of the heart the mouth speaks. Just as a reminder, and, and I'll continue to, to remind everybody of this, as, we, as the Bible speaks of the heart, it is speaking about the inner person. It's speaking about the inner person. The heart is mentioned over 900 times in the Bible, and, and it all refers to the inner person. And the way we kind of unpack that, and the, and the way we see that, and we, we try to understand that, is we use Jeremy Pierre's explanation of the dynamic heart. And there are three components to the dynamic heart. The first component is, is cognitive. It's our thinking. Remember, think of inner person. I, I know so many of us, and, and I've probably even said it and, and try to understand it. It's like, oh, this person knows so much in their head and it just needs to make that 12-inch thing down into their heart. Well, that's kind of, um, that's not quite right. Where, where the heart, the inner man, is all these pieces working together. And, and Jeremy calls it a dynamic heart because you can't just say, oh, this works, then this works, then this works. No, it's all working at the same time. But the first thing is cognitive. In other words, it's what you're thinking, knowing. It's what you're believing and reasoning. Right? It's, it's, it's what you know. It's like in Romans where Paul says we must renew our minds. We must must understand some things. That's why we say we need to open the Bible and read the Bible. This is where we interact with, with God. He's speaking to us through our mind. And then that, what that does is that shapes our, our affective part of our heart, which is our desiring, our feeling, our emotions, our values, what you value. That's all part of what your inner man is, what your heart is doing. So much of what you value will, will then actually... Um, govern the volition is what you choose or what you will or what you decide or what you commit to. See, all three of these things, your understanding, your emotions, your valuing, and your choosing, it's all working at the same time within the inner man. And Jesus says, you know, what's happening there will determine how you treat others. What's happening there will determine how you behave. And the thing is, is, is this moralistic? Absolutely. Because God is a moral being and so are we. That's how he created us. And he has saved us and he has called us to live a certain way. Not in order to climb the ladder to heaven, but in order to reflect who he is here on earth. The, one of the big reasons why he saved us is so that we are a reflection to others of who he is. So whenever we think of the inner person, you think of, okay, what am I thinking? What am I feeling? What am I emotioning? And then what are we valuing? What are, what are we choosing? What are we deciding? What are we committing to? So that's kind of all the dynamic heart at work. It's the inner man at work. And again, the, the word dynamic is used is because they're all happening kind of. We can't just say, oh, first I need to think, and then I'll feel the right way, and then I'll go and choose the right thing. Well, it all happening at the same time. Because sometimes you just need help by someone grabbing you by the hand to help you choose the right thing. And then, then maybe you'll learn the right thing and it'll change your emotions and then you can go and choose on your own. 
By the way, I'm pretty sure that's how we all got from children to adults, is by that very way, right? Because we didn't understand, but our parents did, and they loved us enough to show us. First, no, you do this, and then you gain understanding, right? And then we hit 10 year old, 10 year, 10, 10 years old, and just like, I don't know if you guys are like, I know my son, when Ben hit 10 years old, he had one question, why, 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 why do I have to do this? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing that? Now, here's the question you might be having. Did Jeremy just kind of make this up? Is this something that, are we just supposed to take this? No, he got it from the Bible. It's all over the place. You can see it in Genesis 3. You can see it all over the Bible. And I just have a simple, um, if you turn with me to Romans 3, there's a simple place here where Paul is talking about our pervasive depravity. And he kind of lines up and we see the three different parts of our heart. He sees our thinking, our desiring, and our choosing all right here in these verses, Romans 3, 10 through 12. Again, Paul is talking about how just how far and, and depraved we are from God before God changes our heart. He's talking about our old heart and just how it is. And listen how he talks about it. First he says, as it is written, let me just read those verses. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So again, he flushes out the three things. In verse 10, he says, no one is righteous. Righteous is actions. It's deeds. It's things that we choose. People's actions are corrupt, and this is our volition. That's what he says. You see that, that he's, he's acknowledging that our righteous acts, right? In verse 11, no one understands is what Paul says. Now he's talking about our thinking. People's minds are corrupt, cognitive, our thinking. And then also in verse 11, he says, no one seeks God. And right there we see people's desires and affections and this is the effective part of the heart. So it's our thinking, it's our emotions, it's our choosing. It's all part of the inner man. And it's all addressed in many times. It's like, once you see this, and as you're reading, you're like, oh, wait a minute. Paul just addressed this. And, and definitely, this is how Satan tempted Eve, but we can't get into that. He kind of went from the mind to the emotions to the choosing. He did all three to tempt her. So this is not just something that someone decided to, to make up. It is in Scripture. And it's really just a tool, a way to think of the inner man, of the inner man. Jesus is just simply trying to show us why we do the things we do. Why we do the things we do. It's all about the heart. It's all about our thinking. It's all about what we feel and our emotions. It's all about our wills and our choosing and different things. It's all about the inner man. This pushes hard against the world around us today, doesn't it? It really pushes against the world around us today, which tells us what is wrong with us has to be on the outside. It has to be out there somewhere. This is what's wrong with us. What's wrong with us is out there. Because you know why? Because you know where the answer is? The answer is inside of you. What the creator of the universe, the creator of us says, no, 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 that's completely wrong. (laughs) What's wrong is inside of you. And then we must look at that and see that and then look outside of ourselves to what Jesus has done in order to help that broken and hurting heart. It completely turns what our culture and the world around us says about that on its ear. As Jesus says, it's the upside-down kingdom. 
A lot of things in his kingdom work this way. Jesus comes along and says, no, what comes out of your mouth, your actions are determined by what is inside of you. What is inside of you? What James agrees. Jesus' brother agrees, probably coming off of this. He says in James 4, 1 and 2, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Well, it has to be the other person. If they didn't do X, Y, and Z, then I wouldn't act the way I would. That's not what James says. It is not this. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, as he finishes that verse. Those things are happening in the heart. The coveting, the wanting. So what causes fights and quarrels? It's not the other person. It's what's in your heart. It's what you're desiring. It's probably what you have made a God out of, and, and that person is pushing up against that God, and you just don't like it. So you're going to lash out. And when he's in the context of quarrels, as, as James is, is talking about here. So just as there, what Jesus is trying to say, just as there is a connection between a tree's roots and its fruits, the same connection exists between a person's heart and their behavior. It's what's inside that comes out. Right Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And he's just using one action there in our speaking. Look how he flushes this out in his metaphor. Verses 43 through 44. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. You'll be known by what people see and how you treat them and how you act. And how you talk, especially how you talk. And maybe we should add in there how you tweet or how you post on Facebook. They will know you that way by your outward actions. They will know what you think and what you value by your actions. Just as as a good tree will be known by good fruit and a bad tree by bad fruit, it produces in the same way. He's just making an analogy. And Jesus goes on to make this clear by stating that figs are not grown on thorn bushes and grapes are not grown on bramble bush. And a bramble bush is just a berry bush, you know, raspberry, blackberry, different berry bush like that. So in other words, what he's saying is, is they don't, because of the roots, you get the certain fruit. Let me give you another example. If you take a pit out of a peach and plant it in the ground... Years later, many years later, you will not get apples off of that tree because the root started as a peach, right? The root was a peach, so therefore we're not getting apples out of that tree. That's kind of the the idea that Jesus is trying to put forth here. The root determines the fruit. The root determines the fruit. Then he says, oh, let me make this connection to humans. In verse 45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. We need to really be honest with ourselves and with God. The truth is what we do and say is always in character. Do you ever think of that? We don't want to think of that, right? 
That, that what you do and what you say is always in character with what's going on inside of you. You're not acting outside of character. You're truly acting what's going on inside of your heart. Just like we can't get anything but water out of this bottle, right? We are acting within our character. As Paul Tripp writes in his excellent book, War of Words, it is every tempting, it is very tempting to blame others and to blame the situation around us. But the word problems reveal heart problems. The people and situations around us do not make us say what we say. They are only the occasion for our hearts to reveal themselves in words. It's only the occasion. And what Jesus wants us to do, and what we want to do as we disciple one another, is change those occasions from occasions of lashing out from what's in your heart to occasions to give grace. That's what we want to do with our children. That's what we want to do with our spouses. That's what we do with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Is, Is every time this comes up, we want to pause and we want to give grace. But we're only going to do that as if we're actively searching what's going on inside of our hearts. So that we know, all right, I'm about to lash out because this is what's in me. Let me stop and give that person grace. Even though what they might be doing could be absolutely wrong. It could be. Sometimes it is. Many, many times it is. But your reaction to that is what Jesus is trying to get us to see our hearts. And again, we must be honest with ourselves. Let me just ask you this. Just try to unpack it even further. Have you ever said to someone, I know I have. <laughs> oops, I didn't mean to say that. Ah, Oops, I didn't mean to say that. What, we, what would be more biblical is, um, is if we said, please forgive me <laughs> for saying what I meant. For saying what I meant because that's what's in my heart. That's what's in my heart. Because what Jesus is saying is, if, if it had not been in your heart, it would have not come out of your mouth. If it was not in your heart, it would not come out of your mouth. Your words reveal your heart. My words, Jesus says, come out of my heart. I mean, just think with me for a moment, something that we all have faced Many times. Someone says to you, why are you so angry? And I bet the first thing you talk about is not you. <laughs> you talk about them. You talk about situation. Why are you so angry? Well, the first thing, we, we don't say, well, because you're infringing upon the thing that I think is my God right now, and I don't like you doing that. So I'm going to punish you for doing that. Because that's what's really going on in our hearts. We kind of blame others. And Jesus is trying to say, no, look at your heart. If, you're, if we don't take the time to at least look at our heart and knows what, what's going on, then there's no way that we can stop that and ask for forgiveness before it even comes out of our mouth. He says our, our heart is governing these things. Because honestly, we don't believe that our anger comes within us. It's outside here. And our culture constantly tells us that. And our world around us tells us that. It's out here. There isn't nothing wrong with me. I'm a pretty good person. Man, it's all happening out here. No, it's happening inside. We really find this hard to believe. 
Because none of us have beams. We all have specs, right? Joe included. Right? We all think we just have the specs. There's no beams here. No beams to see Jesus. Because we don't believe this or because it's easier, although far less effective, what we do is we try to manage behavior. Why is the self-help book section in any bookstore the biggest, the most books sold? And all that does is try to manage behavior. Give me six tips to do that, seven tips to do that. Marty was talking about it in elder training class that we, we want a life coach. We want a, an eating coach. We, we, we even want to, you know, we want a diet coach. In fact, we'll send away and pay twice as much for the food so that I don't have to think about it and they could just tell me what to do. It's like we're, we're always looking outside for all this help in all these different places. And Jesus is like, stop, pause, look in your heart. It'll do twice as much good as all these other different things. Twice as much good. We try to manage behavior. Jesus doesn't want you to manage behavior. He wants to fundamentally change you. In fact, he has already changed you, right? And and one day we will be who he has changed us into, but in the meantime, we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We are to work it out. We are to work on it. And the hardest thing to do is to stand up here and say, okay, what can I say without you actually walking in that to, to actually get you to try it? To get you to, to see that what Jesus is saying and what he does and what he has already done for us is so much better than anything else that you can try. Because we don't like the word change, but we all want to change. We all want to change because we know there's some things that aren't quite right. We all know that. We honestly know that. It's just how many different ways can we hide and, and cover that? We just manage behavior. And unfortunately, some well-intentioned people have kind of made church that way, haven't they? Where, where you come in and, and, and I'll give you all these different things that you can't do. And if you don't do these things, this makes you a Christian. Well, no. <laughs> Live out the grace that God has given you. And it's like it's, it's hung this legalistic idea on the church where we're working our way to heaven and we're trying real hard. But this idea that we're supposed to come in and be vulnerable, that, that we're supposed to come into our faith family, and because we are all in Christ, we all have sinned, we all have our sins forgiven, all the guilt and shame has been taken away, that we can actually be honest and open with one another. How did we miss that as a church? Instead, we, we fight about, oh, you don't do this, that, and the other, and therefore I'm more righteous than you because I don't go to the movies, or I don't go do this, or I don't go do that. How, how have we got there? We're just managing behavior. No, Jesus wants to change our heart. He wants to change our heart. I mean, what we're trying to do, and I think what we often do, and definitely what so much of the self-help idea does, is it simply takes off bad fruit and staples on new fruit. And we think we're okay. Paul Tripp, and he's used this illustration like, I don't know, probably 30 different places. It has a lot of legs. He talks about an apple tree that he had in his backyard. This is fictitious. I don't think this is real. 
And, and he's going to love his wife because his wife is complaining about this awful apple tree that all this apple tree would ever do is it would create these organic hockey pucks. In other words, they were unedible apples. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to fix this. So he goes on a Friday night and he goes to the hardware store and he stops by the orchard and he gets some supplies. He gets three bushels of apples. He gets a, a nail gun. He gets a ladder. He gets some, some pruning sneers. And so Saturday morning, he's like, honey, I'm going to fix this. So he gets up and he gets the ladder up into the tree and he cuts off all the bad branches that had the bad fruit. So he takes this bushel of nice, red, delicious apples that was grown in a good orchard. And he takes all these apples and he takes them up on a tree and he takes his nail gun and he staples all these apples onto the tree. And then he steps back and he looks at it and he says, oh, what a beautiful tree. He goes, gets his wife and he says, look, wife, look what a beautiful tree we have now. All this wonderful fruit is hanging off the tree. But what's wrong with that whole scenario? The root has not changed. So that fruit that's not connected to the root, it'll eventually die out and it will fall off and winter will come and spring will come and what will that tree produce? Organic hockey pucks. And it seems like that's what we try to do with our sanctification. Is we try to nail different fruit up on our trees without actually getting to the root and changing our hearts with the gospel of Christ so that next season, whenever that heat comes or the, the pressure of whatever comes in life, that what comes up is the fruit of the gospel and not the fruit of bad fruit or the bad root. And that's how we change from one glory to another. It's not by stapling some nice new fruit by, okay, I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to start doing that. And I look really good. And this tree looks really good for a season until the heat comes again. And then what comes out is what's really in our hearts, which is what's really in the root of things. It's in the root of things. This is what Jesus is trying to get us to see. He is trying to get us to do. This is everything that we're trying to do with our discipleship groups. Here's, here's where Joe and, and the elders are hedging their bets. That we can devise programs and we can devise a church that has all these things that are going on. And on and on and on. And we can, we can have you guys do all kinds of different things. And everybody feels good about themselves and everything else. But at the end of the day, they really, you guys have not changed. Nothing has changed. All you've done is done what the leadership of the church has asked because I have become a part of this church and, and so I want, I want to follow what's going on there. And, and they say, this is, this is what we should be doing. Well, we decided not to do that. What we decided to do is bet on the gospel. It's the bet on the fact that if we invested in you sitting in the pew, and loved on you, and try to help you change, not by stapling different fruit up there, but actually changing your heart so that you would change, that you know what, the rest of that stuff will take care of itself. It's starting to happen. As you see, our fish tank gets fuller and fuller as, as, as you are having gospel conversations, as, as God is changing you and breaking your heart and, and showing you that, that the reason why he saved you is to be an agent of reconciliation, is to be an ambassador and a reflection of who he is in the world around you. So we're not betting on our ability. 
We're not betting on my ability to cast a great vision and run a great program and run a business-type church. You know what we're betting on? The gospel. We're betting on what Jesus said and what the Word of God says. And so we're investing our time in you. Because it says, equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And there's no way that you can do ministry if you're all bound up with sin. There's no way you can do it. In fact, I don't have to even teach you how to do ministry if I can help you to come out from underneath some of the sin that entangles you and holds you down. You will be praising God's name everywhere you go because he has changed you and you have experienced it. This is what we're trying to be led by God to do. And again, it's not even us doing it. It's him doing all the work. He's put the spirit in each of us. We just want to create environments so that you will actually pause and look at the roots of some of the things that you struggle with. Because none of us are different here. We all have struggles. They just might look different. But every single person here, no matter, no matter if you're willing to say it or not, you are struggling with something right now. That's a bet, because we are still on this side of heaven, of the new heavens and the new earth. But that's what we want to do. We, we want to help you. Because I don't have, you know, I don't have a prosperity message to give you that if you do X, Y, Z, you're going to be eternally blessed. I just know that, that the freedom that you get from being changed by the gospel is, I, there's no words for it. There is no comparison to it on this planet. There is none. It is just the greatest joy that you'll ever experience. It is the greatest joy you'll ever experience. I, I remember that, that it was one March, um, and I used to drive dump truck over in Westernport, and we used to come down this Mill Hill. There's an old ruddy uh, dirt road. And in fact, one of the turns on the Mill Hill Road was called a blender turn. And there was a reason for that. Because if you get going in a dump truck, it's like going around in a blender. And, and by the way, the edges, there's no guardrails or nothing. It's just a long ways down the edge, right? So it, it, was, it, was, it was mid-March. And you know how we, sometimes we get those pop-up storms in March where it just dumps, it just, like, a, like a thunderstorm? Okay, it just dumps four inches of snow like right away. We've, been, we've lived in Western Maryland long enough to experience that. So I'm cruising down. I was on top of the hill when this, when this uh, storm hit. And I'm cruising down trying to get my dump truck down because he, he said, let's, let's go in because the road's going to be a mess. And we're not going to spend all the money to get the road right. And I basically slid down off of this hill. Right, And at the time, um, Charity and Anthony and Ben were returning a car because Ben got a new car after coming out of boot camp. Um, and he got a new car and they were returning. And I knew the storm was coming their way. Right, And Joe loved to be in control. In so many ways, Joe loves still to be in control. That's my heart issue. Right, And I remember... I remember so distinctly getting on the phone and screaming like a fool. I have no idea why this woman is still married to me other than Grace. But screaming like a fool to tell them to turn around because this storm is coming. And, and of course, Joe's in control. So he, he's always thinking of all the bad things that can happen, right? That's how my mind works. Like when you start telling me something, I, my mind runs so fast that I can give you the 52 scenarios of what could possibly go wrong in that situation. And that's because my heart issue is control. I want to be in control. 
And I remember yelling like a fool at them to tell them to turn around. And right at that moment, God showed me my heart. What was happening in Joe's heart? Well, there was two things happening, control, and the other thing was fear. I lived in fear. I didn't live with the sovereignty of God at that moment. As I spewed out, yelling at them, telling them they need to turn around and listen to me and this, that, and the other. But what was governing my heart at that point in time is fear and control. And the wonderful thing is, is that was six, seven, I don't even know how many years ago. And inch by inch, I can't say that by the time I got out of the jump truck that day, that I no longer control and fear. I can't say that. But I can say this, that in the last six or seven years, inch by inch by inch by inch by inch, God has moved me away from that controlling heart issue. And he'll do the same for you. He will do the same for you. It's about the heart. It's just whether or not we'll be vulnerable enough or care enough to actually stop and allow others because blind, sin blinds us. And sometimes we can't see it and we got to let somebody else see it. How did I need to apply the gospel? I need to trust in his sovereignty at that point in time. I need to allow him to be in control. What was going on with Joe's heart? There was a wrong worship happening. God's greatest concern is what we worship. Why? Because he designed us to worship. You will always be worshiping something. It's whether or not it's him or something else. Think about what God's chief concern for Israel after he brought them out of Egypt. And just point out the pattern that's always here with God is, is he removes us, he frees us, and then he calls us to do something. He never says, obey and I will save you. He says, I have saved you, now obey. God tells Israel, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love your Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Being freed from the bondage in Egypt and had wandered in the wilderness on their way to Canaan, their journey to the promised land had been filled with trials, temptations to enemies, and sufferings. So God's greatest concern was not that they had encountered or would encounter in the future, but what they would worship. That was his concern. What would they worship? He knew the greatest battle would be for their hearts. Even after miracles they saw, what did they do? They devised a calf and they worshiped that. And we today would say, that's nuts. I would never do that. No, we do it with many other different things. We do it with good things. We put things in place of God, and it's much harder to detect sometimes. Family, friends, serving, and even as Sam warned us on Sunday night, if you're here for that message, we even sometimes worship doctrine over God. It's like we're worshiping all this knowledge about doctrine, but we forgot about the person of God. We fall back into what Romans 1.25 says because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the Creator rather than the cre- uh, creature, creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Think of the rich young ruler that Sam talked about today. What was his God? His God was his money. He had much wealth. And the interesting thing that what Jesus says is, I'm going to love you by telling you what's in your heart. Pretty amazing that that's how he talks about love. Now, how, how is it that we can detect an idol? Well, it's real simple. 
If we become depressed, angry, anxious because something has been taken away or something is threatening to take away something in our life, it could possibly be an idol in your life. It could be something that you're worshiping over God because you're upset, depressed, mad, angry, all these different emotions that we get because it's been threatened or it might be taken away. Back in October, during the Refine and Reform service, we handed out, with our new decrease package, these x-ray questions. I don't know if anybody's using them. I hope you are. But those x-ray questions are specifically to get to the heart. So that we stop nailing fruits, different fruit on our trees, and get to the heart so that we might actually change. Because the good news of the gospel shines brightest against the backdrop of our sin. So don't be afraid to look at these things. It's okay to look at the mess. Your mess has been forgiven. Your mess has been forgiven. The problem is, is we all struggle to believe that it has been taken away. We want to cover and hide. We all have messy lives. We all have idols that we worship over God. But he loved us so much that he first freed us from our sin. And he graciously gave us a family around us to help us look at our hearts, to care for us even though we have messy lives. Let me just close with the words of Paul. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do we not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died... For the one who has died, and if you're in Christ, you died with him. And then you were raised to a new person so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. But that sin resides in our hearts. It's not about taking off some old fruit and and nailing on some good fruit and calling it good. But the gospel is so good. He loves us so much that Christ died for us. And that's what we must believe. Believe that he's taken our guilt, he's taken our shame, and that we must trust in him. Trust in him. Because he loves us so dearly. And he saved us by going to the cross. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray that you would just open our hearts today, Lord. Father, is there areas in, in my life Lord, I'll pray for myself and everyone can pray for themselves. Is there areas in my life, Lord, that that maybe you need to reveal that there are things that I I absolutely have set up as a God in my life that I worship far more and more concerned about than you, Lord? Show them to me, Lord. You care and love me and you will. In fact, Lord, you care and love us so much that you don't show us all of it all at once. And Lord, what grace it is that we can walk with our brothers and sisters, Lord. You have given us brothers and sisters to walk with. 
as you reveal what is in our hearts little by little. Lord, thank you that you care for us so deeply. You want us to experience the joy that comes in fully trusting you. Lord, thank you that you you want us to experience here on earth in whatever measure we can what we will experience when we are with you for all eternity, when there is no sin, there is no suffering. Lord, help us to step into this. Lord, as we turn and take time to look at what you did on the cross for us so that we can spend eternity with you, Lord, I pray that you would search our hearts by the Spirit, that you would humble us so that we may take these things to you as we are reminded of what Christ has done for us. We ask that in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.